a podcast about pilots needs a pilot episode, and this is ours. Ben Blacker talks to me, Andrew Reich, about a dead pilot that Ted Cohn and I wrote called Laurel and Holly. We also talk about how Dead Pilot Society was born. So enjoy this. Make sure you also listen to our official first episode with a reading of Formosa by Tom Lennon and Robert Ben Garant. Uh, enjoy and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode of Dead Pilot Society. Are you in Los Angeles? Do you want to see Dead Pilot Society live? You're in luck because we're doing one at Largo at the Coronet on September 25th. We've got scripts by Steve Agee, co-star of the Sarah Silverman program, Rob Schraub, co-creator of the Sarah Silverman program, and Samantha McIntyre, who has worked on Married and uh, whose feature script is going to be Brie Larson's directorial debut. Both scripts are really funny. They've got great casts which you can find out if you go to writerspanel.tumblr.com, where you also find the link to tickets for this terrific Dead Pilot Society live show. You can also go to largo-la.com for tickets. Hope to see you there. Hi, everybody. It's me, Ben Blacker, and I'm here with Andrew Reich, who is a very impressive fellow. (laughs) Is that how you like to be introduced? Yeah, of course. Uh, first of all, tell the people why they may know your name. Uh, I was a writer and executive producer on Friends. That's the main reason. Did, did you hold for applause? <laughs> that was a hold for applause. No, that was me thinking whether I should list any other credits and deciding I didn't want to. Yeah, I'm DBM, and then, so he doesn't have to be publicly shamed for some of these things. But you've had an impressive list of credits, and you've been around, and you've worked primarily in network Television, Yes, it's really pretty much exclusively in network television. Yeah, uh, which is sort of pertinent to our conversation. Um, so you, uh, the reason Andrew and I even know each other, I think, is um, through other friends, writers, but then you invited me to participate in this really cool project that you got rolling earlier this year. Uh, let's talk about it. Okay. Uh, it's called Dead Pilot Society. Mm-hmm. And which is very clever. The, we can all agree. It's much better than my original title, which was Busted Pilots Club, uh, Dead <laughs> Pilot Society. I was a better. fan. All I right. was a fan. Of that. I think this is better. <laughs> uh, I, my former partner Ted Cohn, and I had uh, just come off of uh, a season where we had uh, sort of three pilots uh, that we had written, none of which wow. got shot, and I was. Swimming laps, which is where I get all my best ideas, and it occurred to me. I was just thinking, you know, especially about one of them, that it, it was really such a, a bummer that it didn't even get to hear it read out loud mm-hmm. one time. And then the next thought was, well, why not? Um, why I know actors, and why not just put together a cast and uh, do a reading of it? And then I thought. Oh, there are plenty of other scripts that are good and that never got to have those table reads. And that was the germ of the idea. Having written many pilots that just hit that wall and they get put in a drawer and that's the end of them and you kind of never really think about them again. And they may be better than a pilot you wrote that did get made. And that was sort of the genesis of the idea. Yeah, so let's talk about, I guess, for people who don't know, I feel like we should talk about the process of even selling a pilot in the first place. Because then they can sort of understand where these things stop being made. And that's where we pick up with Dead Pilot Society. Right. 
Um, and you've done a lot of it. Yes. So you can walk us through it. Yes. Um, I don't know what the number is, but uh, Ted Cohen, my former writing partner, and I, I don't know, 13, 14 pilots, That's something like that, that we've, that we've sold. So yeah. the, the process begins with uh, a pitch. What? This is, you know, there are exceptions to everything I'm about to say, but generally it starts with a pitch. Um, generally, you, you pitch the first to a studio, maybe a producer even before a studio, uh, but that pitch is, is generally the idea, here's what the show is going to be, uh, here's who the characters are, here's what stories are, yeah. are going to be like, here's the, the concept, and you give them a, a sense of, the best sense you can in this 15-20 minute pitch. Of, That's what I was going to ask. How yeah. long do you like? I'd like to go around you do com- comedy. Comedy, primarily. yeah. Um, and I know that our pitches are much more elaborate and, mm-hmm. and longer and often have sort of visuals and things mm-hmm. like that. But a comedy pitch, I think, should be about 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, that seems right. Um, and I don't really know, I, I don't know the numbers of how many pitches are bought for each other. Do you know? We, I don't know offhand, but I had some development execs on a few months ago. And so that podcast is out there. And they talked about, uh, we had a CBS exec who talked about hearing, you know, 500 pitches right. over in, in a buying season. And buying maybe 60? Buying maybe 100. Oh, maybe 100. And maybe then, that many. 100. Yeah. Okay. So you've got, so there, so 100 pitches get bought. The next, uh, so, so they're basically, they've agreed to pay you mm-hmm. to write a script. Um, many steps in that process. Uh, one that was added a number of years ago, which is the story area document, will be your yeah. first step, which is a one to two page document. Here's what the basic story of the pilot's going to be. You get notes back and forth, back and forth. So you get that approved, then you're. And set. you do, we should say, um, like, if you're working with a studio or a production company, each one of those entities is going to give notes in addition to the yes, work that yes, paid for it. Exactly. So if you have a pod, if you have a non-writing producer, you're going to have a couple back and forths of notes with them before you send it to the studio, at which point you'll have back and forths. And each of those back and forths triggers another back and forth with your non-writing producer. Of course. Uh, so they need to weigh in before it goes back to the studio. Then so multiply that when you're giving it to the <laughs> network. They're giving you notes. You do the rewrite, which you give to your pod, get that back, rewrite, then give it to the studio, rewrite, rewrite, get it to the network. So there are many steps. Uh, you know, e- Each of these phases of the writing process before you then get to actually write the script. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the story area and then the outline, outline. which is a... You know, if the story area is one or two pages, the outline is eight to twelve, mm-hmm. and that's more scene by scene. What's really what's happening in each scene, um, and then yeah. So now you're most likely in November. Um, you're late October. You're in November, uh, and yeah, where and you pitched it probably in July, August. July, August, yeah. Or um, even September, yeah. but yeah, around then. Yeah, and then you're trying to get that script in before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and know. how many drafts have you done of a script in the past? Like, how many have you turned in to um, the network? To the network? Yeah. Um, two to three. Okay, that's, yeah. that seems average. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's generally... I mean, you go through the levels at the network of, you know, the development people, and then they'll give it to their, you know, to the VPs, and it'll move up. And and sometimes those higher-up people, you're, you know, Nina Tassler at CBS, sometimes she'll give notes, sometimes she won't, (laughs) um, before it goes to the Paul Lee, the Les Mendes, whoever. Um, And so, and we're talking about... 
We're talking again about network pilots, yes, for the most part, which yes. is what we've kind of tried a to lot call of, for. Dead yes, pilots a lot of right. a lot of these dead pilots are network. Not all of them. There, you yeah. know, there are some cable pilots that that, that we'll have um, coming up, but a lot of them are network pilots. Right. But yes, we're talking the, the cable uh, is schedule is less regimented. It, it's not on the same firm schedule. With it can be faster or slower, exactly. Um, but also. Like when we talk about the development process, this is what we're talking about. A writer comes in with an idea, and then that idea is developed by all of these entities. Right. Many, many, many <laughs> rounds of notes at various stages. Uh, so then we get to uh, that script, which now we're in January, and the scripts have been, you've got notes from the network, you've, you know, you've, final drafts have been submitted, and sometime in January is when the pickups. Which is a weird word because people use pickup right. to mean a couple different things. But it's, it's sort of a green light yes. for a pilot. The green light to shoot the pilot starts to come in in January. Mm -hmm. And that is the moment <laughs> in which this series, the, the, the pilots that go no farther uh, are the pilots yeah. that, that we are working with. That's when you see series. a handful of very happy writers yes. and a whole lot of <laughs> heartbroken writers yes. who kind of put all of this work into the last six months, right. if not more. Because right. you and kind of start developing these things on your own well before you pitch them. Right. And so, no, ma and no matter what, when you get to that point, in most cases, you've fallen in love with <laughs> right. at that point. I mean, there are exceptions there are places where, where that development process sometimes just doesn't go well and you may end up hating the thing. Right. right. Hoping, so, it you know, hoping it doesn't go. Hoping it doesn't go. That does right. happen. Um, but we're not reading any of those scripts. No. <laughs> But but yeah, so eight to ten to maybe twelve pilots yeah. get shot for at each network, and so if we are talking about they bought a hundred pitches and they're shooting ten, so that's ninety yeah. heartbroken that's writers. Crazy. Yeah, um, and 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 again, this is where Dead Pilot Society lives, right? Um, for the writers who have projects that they love. Yes. That, like you say, and as was your experience, didn't get to ever hear it read aloud. Because when you're just submitting scripts, actors aren't involved. Right. Uh, generally, you're, it's really all electronic. Yeah. Uh, it all lives within the people who are developing it. So right. this is an opportunity for people, for the writers to hear their scripts come to life yeah. by great actors. I mean, for that very first one, uh, which is what we're actually going to hear today. Yes. You lined up uh, an amazing cast. Yeah, it was. Um, we, we got great people: you know, Molly Shannon and Sarah Chalk, and Hayes MacArthur and Kyle Bornheimer and Anna Camp and Tony Caballero and Jamie Denbo yeah. and Valerie Aslin. All great actors and, and friends who yeah. were just very happy to volunteer their time and, and come out and 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 read this. And you had, um, and again, we'll be listening to the script that you uh, you and Ted wrote. Yes, right. Um, uh, in a minute, but um, you had a great description for when we started to invite other writers to do it, which was after this first one, everybody had a great time. There were no notes. Nobody got fired. Yes. We all laughed a lot, yes. which is a terrific description. And, and it is because when you do, if you do make it through that January gauntlet and you do yeah. get your show picked up to shoot, that table read is incredibly tense. Yeah. Um, there's been you know all this buildup, but you never know what's going to happen until you get to that that table read. And I've certainly been to those network table reads where the script gets pretty much thrown out after that table read. It, it doesn't work. The network's not happy. They want a new story. You know, I've had to fire actors after table reads, which is a horrible yeah, thing to have to do. And had to just, 
you, you, all these months and months of notes and things, and then you've got one night to completely <laughs> throw all that out and start again, and it can just be awful. So this experience where you don't have to worry about any of those things, and it's just people are just there to be yeah. supportive, um, was has been really a fun thing for all yeah. the writers that now, have done. It certainly was for me. Yeah, and before we uh, kind of pivot to talk about the specific script, um, we should say we've recorded now 12 of these yeah. or so. Uh, we've done over a series of nights, and until now, they have all been invitation only. Uh, the audience is made up of friends and colleagues. Uh, the actors are all, you know, people that we found and cast. Um, on January 10th, <laughs> you, the listener, can come see a Dead Pilot Society uh, as part of San Francisco Sketchfest. Uh, go to either my website, writerspanel.tumblr.com. Follow me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, uh, for details about where to get tickets for that. Uh, but we know that we're doing a script by John Hodgman, which should be a lot of fun. Uh, we know some cast members, uh, Josh Molina, who is hilarious and great and is from the West Wing and Scandal. Uh, John Ross Bowie, who has been involved with Dead Pilots yes, uh, from, a, a bunch. From Big Bang Theory, yeah. probably best known for. Uh, and um, Busy Phillips, our pal from Cougar Town and Freaks and Geeks and a whole bunch of things. Um, so we hope you will join us for that uh, and see what we're doing. Great. Let's talk about your pilot. That we this was the very first one. That this was, was read the first pilots, one that right? was read on the first night of Dead Pilot Society, and uh, appropriately, uh, the first one broke the rules of Dead Pilot Society <laughs> because, the, because the idea for Dead Pilot Society, um, just so there uh, to narrow the field a bit, the idea is sold but unshot yes. pilots, um, and I think that's that's a good distinction because yes. it is like. Shot pilots, you the writer knows what it wants. Right, right? they got to have a table. The shot yeah. pilots, people, they got to have a table read. They got to see it. There, there is, um, there's a DVD somewhere right. of that pilot. Right. You know, that's another whole heartbreaking thing. In <laughs> yeah. some ways, it's almost more heartbreaking because you've gone even farther and you've gotten more attached and you've spent more time and effort and you've made this thing. And the same thing happens: you hit a wall and it gets put in a drawer and no one ever sees it and there's nothing you can do. And it's so, but. That's a different, you know, and I know there have been uh, nights where people show yeah. some of those pilots. and um, Which when we spin off from this spin off. Yes, we're we totally going to do that. Yes. But so that, that was not, the intention was sold, but unshot pilots. Now, Laurel and Holly, which you'll be hearing, is not technically a sold pilot. Really? Um, I didn't because know. Because what happened, uh, and, uh, and also, having just gone through the whole process of development, explaining, pitch, all that, uh, Ted and I didn't go through that process with Laurel and Holly. So, Laurel and Holly was a spec, which is the other way these you know, <laughs> pilots do come about at times. Um, it was almost sold. What happened with Laurel and Holly... I wish um, you had just made something up. I, <laughs> just sold out our whole premise. I know. <laughs> It'll be the only exception, and right. it's only because it's my, you know, it was my thing, and I was going right. to make an exception. Um, <laughs> we sold Laurel and Holly uh, to NBC. Tal Rabinowitz, who was the head of development, uh, we... The deal was done. We were days away from signing the deal, and Tal was fired. Right. So 
that because the deal wasn't signed, it became unsold. Uh, I think it still counts. So I I think think technically (laughs) it still counts. We had a deal memo. We had the whole thing. We just didn't, hadn't signed it. And so that's what happened with Laurel and Holly. So the rest of these pilots we're going to be hearing are much more, were actually sold, (laughs) just not shut. But that's also like, that's another kind of heartbreak. And and Acker and I had a similar thing where like it went through this whole process and then the strike happened. Right. And so, like, it was sold, but what do you do? Yeah. Um, so, like, there are infinite ways, kind of heartbreak. Infinite ways to get screwed. There are <laughs> yes. just infinite ways, and this was, this was one of them. And so kind I, of a classic one. So acceptable. I think it still counts. <laughs> and also, I mean, like, for that script in particular, in that situation, that's kind of a dead thing now. Yeah. Like, you can't do anything with that because it's been shopped around or it's been shown around. Yeah. Like, people say, the agents always say it's been exposed. Right. And, that's, and it's very hard it's to revive moment. those things. Yeah. And I think once Tal's replacement came in, you know, he said, oh, it's a great script, but I kind of want to do my own thing. And of course, and you, you have to understand that someone comes in, they, they don't want the old regimes. Right. You know, they, they, they want to make their mark. <laughs> they want to do their own things. And so at that point... It you know it, it just became um, dead a dead a dead pilot <laughs> yeah so can we let's back up for one second so before it was near sold right um, what was the impetus for the script what was and what was the process that how did you and Ted work together so the this one was a, had a sort of long gestation period and when we Ted and I we both really like writing female characters that was something I, I think on Friends we loved writing those those women and always the greatest compliment would you know someone would watch the show and they there'd be something that Rachel or Monica or you know, Phoebe would have said so one of the one of the women on staff must have written that and and sometimes it'd be like no I wrote that or Ted wrote that and it, it always that really felt great that you, that even for mm-hmm. women to feel that you had written something that that rang true for mm-hmm. a woman and we 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 both really like that and there's so many actresses that we loved writing for and and so this um kind of came about we were thinking that there were we love lisa kudrow we miss um writing for her and we were and there are other actors christina applegate someone else we, we really love and then molly shannon uh who's a friend of mine we had met with and talked to her about maybe writing something for her and we had this idea that started out of um, a story about two sisters and we had the whole thing you know, somewhat plotted out and um, and then we pitched it to Molly and seeing her reaction just we kind of felt like oh maybe hearing it out loud telling it to someone else sometimes you go like oh maybe this isn't great but we, we had uh, and Molly said something to us she said I really like playing characters that are full of joy hmm. um, and that sort of stuck in our heads as just an interesting yeah. starting place. And we started It's not the first instinct for many writers. <laughs> no, it's not. It really, it's certainly not. And we started thinking about her and Lisa Kudrow as this, this great combination of their energies. Cause it was always fun. Lisa can be so sort of negative in such a funny way without ever feeling negative, but she can be very harsh in a, yeah. in a funny way. She gets away with it in a way many actors yeah. can. And, and it, it was always great writing that on Friends. So we started thinking about that combination of Lisa Kudrow and Molly Shannon. That, that was sort of in our heads. And then Ted came into the office one day with this idea for an opening scene, which is... 
it's the big reveal in the pilot, so maybe we can uh, we can play this part after the reveals already happened. I don't know. So he, he came in with this idea of two couples, and um, they're they're at a dinner party, and it, it comes out at this dinner party that the the the, the two men are having an affair. Right. And these two women who had not liked it, or, or one of the women, the Lisa Kudrow character, we'll call her, had not liked the Molly Shannon character, was very annoyed by right. her joyousness. <laughs> and the two of them forced, you know, into this friendship. But he really just had this opening scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a spark that just got us thinking about that relationship, about these two women who are dealing with this horrible thing that's happened to both of them together. And they're, they're bonded by the fact that it was their two husbands who are having this affair. And that that scene just sent us in, you know, you know, off in this direction. We and we started to really uh, develop that relationship between the two of them. And I mean, originally this script was called Molly and Lisa, um, and the, we just called the characters that. And so it was really writing with the two of them in mind, which is always also never mind the premise. A great way. It's a great way. Just, just it helps to really have those to get a voice in yeah. your head. It just makes the characters much more yeah. specific. So that was really it was it was really Ted actually came in and, and as he was pitching, he just pitched me the scene of this dinner. And and when he got to that reveal, it really surprised me. Yeah. Um, and then subsequently, you know, it's funny when we gave the script to our agent, Nancy Josephson, she really liked it and said, I have to say, I just read a script by your old boss, <laughs> Marta Kaufman, that has the same opening scene, um, which, of course, became Grace and Frankie. Yeah. Uh, and it was just one of those crazy things where yeah. completely independently, we had both started with this premise. Now, her show, the, the women are much older. Our women were in their it's 30s. A different, it's absolutely a different show. And it show feels very that different. But that yeah. jumping off point. But it was another thing that contributed uh, ultimately to the deadness of, <laughs> of its status because once, you know, Tal left and, and right. at that point, Grace and Frankie wasn't on yet, but it was, it was, the, it was in production. Yeah. Uh, and so that, the fact that they had the same jumping off point, completely different shows, it just made it kind of harder. And it was funny, you know, I, I called Marta and I ran into her and I just said, look, you know, we, I, this is crazy, but we have this, I just don't want you to think right. that we were ripping you off or... And she had the same thing. I think um, her daughter, Hannah, had just had, you know, this opening scene sort of, you know, came into her head. And it was just one of those simultaneous. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Which happens. Which, you know, just happened. Um, Um, So how long did you guys, once once you sort of had that and you had the characters, how long did the script take? I think we we worked on the script for probably two, maybe three months. Um, And you guys, what was your process? Our process, we we outline together, you know, we we always outline together. And and certainly we we did a lot of walking at that Mm -hmm. stage. It was easier for us uh, when we're in that. Uh, phase. And I think there's something about two guys sitting across the desk just looking at each other gets awkward fast. You know, it's just, and so if you can walk, not only is there that right. sort of meditative right brain, left brain thing, you're also not just staring at each other. The all, uh, you just don't have your side by side. You don't have to. So that always really worked for us in the sort of idea generation. That's really funny. Um, Phase. We would just go for long hours, long wow. walks, and talk it out, and you know, carry a notepad and, and write things down. So that's great. Um, that we, we found that that just really worked for us. So uh, that 
processed in takes a few weeks. I don't remember exactly all these things. When you're writing a spec, it takes longer because you have longer. You, you, <laughs> you're not dealing with the deadlines right. that you have when you're on the real network development schedule. Right. In which case, you have to you know, the script has to get done in a few weeks. Right. And uh, so this probably took longer than we take when we're really you mm. know, when we were really in development. Um, so once we had that outline, we would split up the script in this sort of arcane way, uh, not you take the first act, I think it was never, we would sort of make these charts of, okay, here's a really, this is a big complicated scene, uh, you know, scene C is a really big complicated scene, and scene H is another really big complicated scene. Those would each go in a column, and <laughs> it would just sort of one from column A, one from column B kind of wow. thing, and then that would go down to, okay, this is an easy one, two page right. gimme scene, here's <laughs> another one of those. So... Each of us would have one really hard scene or one really easy scene or sometimes there'd be a scene or often be a scene one of us was dying to write and so but maybe both of us were dying to write and so this would be the sort of horse trading all right you can have that scene if I can have this scene is this how you guys did all of your scripts this is how we did all of our oh scripts God. yeah um, and Listen, when you find a thing that works and it would work and so it was just trying to. To find an even split um, where both of us had scenes we were really excited about and both of us had some of the scenes that we knew. Someone didn't end up with all the scenes that we hadn't really figured out were going to just be really tricky to write. And often, sometimes you'd get it right and sometimes it would really end up being very uneven anyway. But that's how we would try to do it. And when you're right, sometimes um, one person has their their a couple scenes where the same person has to write all those scenes because they're going to be setups in one that are going to carry through. And, right. Um, so this we would go off. so interesting to me, though. I mean, you guys worked together for a long for time. For 21, 22 years, yeah. So this, this was honed over right. time. We did it lots of different ways. Yeah. And, you know, we did the, you take the, these first three, I'll take, or you take all the scenes in this story, mm-hmm. and I'll take all the, you know, you take all the A scene stories. I'll take, we, we tried out all these things, and this ended up being so how it kind of <laughs> worked out. I know, I'm sure you got, you know, you and Ben oh, have. do the opposite of that. No, we we wanted it to be, you know, we, we wanted to try and find it fair. And we and I also, there were times early on where we wrote everything in a room together, someone mm-hmm. at the keyboard, someone pacing, that kind of thing. And, we, and, and we've done that other times over the years. Sometimes you, time constraints just make right. it, Off and on do it that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but this was one of those that we, we did that way. And so we'd each take a week, maybe a little longer than a week, to write our half of the it's script. And then put it all together, read it through, and then start from scene A, kind of going through it together. And would you, like, you would obviously, like, you'd read it through, you'd, you'd note your own scenes and the other person's scenes, right. and then come together and compare those notes and start kind of honing it. Right. And obviously you're mostly noting the other person's scenes. Of course. Because you, you, did, it you did it perfectly, right? <laughs> your scenes are great. Um but me always having those scenes, you're, it's often like, uh, you know, I didn't get the blow to that scene, mm-hmm. and hopefully being in a room together, we're going to, yeah. you know, come up with, with, those are the things that, uh, especially with, a, you know, this is a multi-camera show, mm-hmm. and so the blows are much, the blows meaning the blow, uh, aka the, you know, the button, the, mm-hmm. I've heard lots of crazy, there's some old-timey terms, like the curtain. Uh, anyway, oh, I've never it's, heard that. It's the, la- the blackout, and that's another sure. word. Um, it's the last joke of the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and writing on Friends, it really was something that was drilled into us. We spent, oh, um, 
probably of all the collective time <laughs> writing that show, you know, including breaking stories out, like probably half the time was taken up uh, with blows. That's what kept us there until six in the morning. Oh, often okay. it's just, we were all that blow you had to, well, it's, it's also a series of short scenes. Yeah. So you had so a many lot of them. Yeah. You really That's had a lot. And it was also always the thing that you'd end up rewriting on stage because right. they just wouldn't work. And yeah. you're still you, the thing you were rewriting right up to the last moment were those blows. And, yeah. um, and they're not as important in single camera, but mm -hmm. it, it, it was just we grew up yeah. writing, really caring about those. So that, that and this was, one, this is a multi camera. This is a multi camera. About, um, yeah. Uh, but also there's a difference on the page too right, right. like sometimes those jerk, jokes work on the page and then and they don't necessarily yeah. when you hear them right and sometimes once you're seeing something on its feet you realize oh the, we didn't see where the joke there's an obvious right. joke that you didn't see until the, you totally. had the actors totally. up on did feet. you have those discoveries in hearing it for dead pilots I mean for dead pilots you, you certainly heard uh, oh that did that joke hearing that out loud it didn't, does not work as well as I, I thought that was going to be really funny and then you know, it happens the other way less often but there's like oh that was a lot funnier than I thought it would you know be on right. the page but more often it's just uh, that just uh, you know that really <laughs> it, it, that didn't land and yeah. um, you don't have the opportunity to figure obviously what you'll be hearing is uh, the, the script as it would show up at the table read it hasn't been rewritten by a room it hasn't mm -hmm. been you know you haven't had a chance to adjust anything it's also a cold read yeah. you should point out these actors were just coming there's been no rehearsal they just showed up <laughs> we and read them for the first time tacos and beer yes made them read the script and just made them read a script so there are jokes that got lost just because you okay. didn't have a chance to to tell an actor oh no it, it needs to be this way there's so um but so, yes, in that rewriting process of going through it together, the script does change you know, mm -hmm. a, a tremendous amount. It always, that first draft is usually far too long, mm -hmm. and scripts often get better just by virtue of getting shorter, because mm -hmm. you're just kind of cutting out the bad stuff and getting the good stuff closer together. That mm -hmm. is a lot of the job. But so we would spend another... Um, Often that process was almost longer than the initial sure. writing process. You know, we two weeks, you know, going through and punching and cutting and and getting it together. To to where often, you know, if I look back at our old scripts, it's almost hard for me sometimes to remember. Did I write the original yeah. the scene originally? I don't even know if I did because it you know, becomes right. you know, such a blend of the you know, your, both of your voices by the end, and you've Absolutely. gone through it so many times. Yeah. Um, so, and so now we've talked about how the sale and, <laughs> and non-sale of the script. Right. Um, how long ago did you guys write the script? This was, oh gosh, when did we, we'll have to, uh, this was written by two, it was by two years ago. Okay. Um, I think we went out with it, um, we went out with it during you know, when you have a spec, there's a, the strategy of when do you send put that spec out into the marketplace. Yeah. Um, and I think we did go out with it December, January. Okay. The thought being, people are started. They've bought these hundred pitches. They're getting the scripts in. Some of those mm -hmm. scripts are not going to live up to the promise of the pitch. Yeah. And so you think the thinking is that the network executives are getting stuff in that they're disappointed with, and then you hand them a script that they really <laughs> right. love, and they say, oh, this is so much better right. than this. I'll just buy it. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, we did run into it a couple networks because it was a sort of a two-woman script. Uh, 
People call it a two-hander, but it mm-hmm. should be a four-hander, right? Because it's two people. So um, that it was, you know, yeah. So it uh, some of the networks had other um, two f- female buddy kind of scripts, and that knocked us out at certain places. Where they said, "Oh, we've already got a couple right. of things that we bought as a pitch and that we're high on." As is always the case in trying to sell something. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, but like I said, but you know, NBC did. You know, I think it was in January. Uh, I think you know they they were Tal was buying it for the next season. I think she was okay. she was thinking that she was going to buy it for mm-hmm. for the next season, cool. um, which is great. That gives it even more it of a chance. Gives it in early exactly. Yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah. Um, and you have more time to try and get you know get the actors that you know yeah. that, that you want. And you know our, our goal with this always was you know to write two great parts for for women, and yeah. we had a long list of you know great female you know great actresses that we that we loved and um so yeah so it was it did go out during that you mm-hmm. know the course of of that season so then uh when it came time for dead pilots right. what made this the script for you you Cause, know because like you said you've developed we, a whole lot yes of and in fact we we had uh another script that we had written that season that didn't go that we were that we were thinking uh you know that, that i thought i was going to read that one was a single camera um, and just as I was thinking about that script, which is another script that I really did love and would make probably like to do for Dead Pilots mm-hmm. at another time, I I just felt that Laurel and Holly was going to be a better read at a table. Yeah. You know, partly by virtue of being a multi camera, multi cameras are more designed for a table read. Uh, often, you know, with the single cameras, there's more stage direction. There's more things that are visual. There, you know, it, it's not. Uh, as much like a play, mm-hmm. um, and it, you, know, you know, this is really a, like a stage reading of a play, and so Absolutely. I just felt um, that it would play better at the table. And I just, it was one of those scripts that we just really, uh, over the course of it, had just sort of fallen in love with these characters. And um, I was really excited, you know, we sort of written it for Molly Shannon, and I you know, asked her immediately and when you know, mm-hmm. she said that she was interested in it, so it was nice that we could have her. Um, and so that was really, it just, it just felt like a script that would play well at a table. Mm-hmm. And it absolutely did, yeah. as people will hear. Right. Do you want to, just before we throw to it, do you remember the cast? Yes. Okay. Because um, people are about to hear it and they always want to know whose voice is that? Yes, yes. Holly, is played by the character's inspiration, Molly Shannon. Uh, Laurel uh, is played by Sarah Chalk. Uh, Steve is Hayes MacArthur. Tony is played by Tony Cavallero, who was that character's inspiration. We wrote the part for uh, for Tony. Uh, he also plays uh, Laurel's brother, Xander. Uh, Shane is played by Kyle Bornheimer. Rita is Anna Camp. Uh, both Tanya and Danny are played by Valerie Aslin, and Steph is played by Jamie Denbo, who uh, later has a script of her own yes. that we read for Dead, for Dead Pilot Society. Uh, and they will hear you reading stage directions, I correct? I am reading the stage yeah. directions, yes. Um, which you will do for most of the ones that they hear. Yeah, so, sometimes the writers want to do it themselves, mm-hmm. but if they don't, you know. It's you get to hear. You're me. very good. At it. Yeah, <laughs> it's a hard thing. Yes. It actually really is. Yes. Um, and if we haven't said it already, it is a cold read. <laughs> uh, actors are reading this script for the first time, mm-hmm. um, but it was 
it was really fun. But afterwards, people said, "Oh, you know, that was so great. Aren't you sad? Um, you know, just like that, right. that it is dead and that is." And I, did, I have to say, I didn't really feel that way. I, I felt it was just really fun to get to hear it read out loud by great actors. And there's a, a bit of vindication in just feeling like, okay, I thought, uh, I thought this was funny. And yeah. for, for a lot of it, it, it did turn out to be, uh, uh, you know, I think a lot of it played pretty well. Obviously, you Absolutely. hear these things and you're just thinking, like, oh, I would rewrite that and I would <laughs> cut that and I would fix this joke. And there's all those things. Um, but I, I didn't feel any uh, anger or sadness that uh, it, it really was just just fun to, to hear it out loud. Yeah, and it was fun being in the audience. It was fun being there to see, have it read out loud. It was fun seeing you uh, and Ted getting to hear it for the first time from these great actors. The actors all had a blast. Um, it's a really fun night, and I think that'll come across in the podcast. But also, once again, come see it. In San Francisco, uh, as part of San Francisco Sketch Fest on January 10th. Uh, we've, as we said, recorded about a dozen of these, yeah. and we do have plans to release them. Uh, it's going to be its own podcast, Dead Pilot Society. We're going to start putting them out first quarter next year, uh, 2016. Continue listening to the Nerdist Writers panel for details about how to find that, because it's uh, not necessarily going to be here on the Nerdist Network. Um, and I think it's really, even for me, being there and listening to them all, it's a great education as a writer just to hear these things read out loud, to hear what works, what, what doesn't work. Yeah. Um, do we want to talk about some of the writers and actors yeah, that we absolutely. have? Um, so let's see, we have scripts by Tom Lennon mm-hmm. and Robert Ben Garant. Garant. Uh, Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly. Mm-hmm. Who uh, were, uh, made vacation this yes, year. Yes, yes. Um, uh, we have uh, Mike Royce and Kevin Beagle. Mm-hmm. Mike Royce from Everybody Loves Raymond and Men of a Certain Age, mm-hmm. and Kevin Beagle from Cougar Town. Enlisted, yeah. Uh, enlisted, enlisted, right? Uh, Who else did we do that night? We did. That was JJ, JJ Philbin yeah. uh, from New Girl. That was yeah. a, yes, an that was an evening of Tom Hanks movies adaptations, which I forced into existence because <laughs> we had JJ's uh, and, and Josh. bachelor party yeah. uh, and then uh, Big and the, from Mike Royce and, and Kevin Beagle and then we had Justin uh, Spitzer Justin Spitzer from The Office uh, with the money pit yes. so that was our Tom Hanks <laughs> night uh, also uh, Ira Ungerleiter uh, mm-hmm. has a very funny pilot Ira from um, uh, Friends mm-hmm. and How I Met Your Mother and many many other things uh, Angie Tribeca coming up uh, Claudia Lanau, um, Jamie Denbo, and Carrie Kenny Silver, mm-hmm. uh, Reno 911. Have one that people are going to freak out about. Yes. That's it's nuts. And uh, Will Gluck, yeah. uh, writer director of EZA and mm-hmm. Friends with Benefits. Um, you know, he's got one. And so, like we said, John Hodgman will be doing. Uh, and some of the uh, actors you. We've had amazing cast. Yeah. Like, we don't deserve them. No. They're much better than us. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, Paul F. Tompkins and Ben Schwartz. We had uh, the leads in one. Uh, Jason Ritter. Mm-hmm. Ben right? Feldman. Mm-hmm. Aubrey Plaza. Yeah. Um, so many great people. Yeah. Uh, Steve Agee. Like, a lot of great comedy people. A lot of great actors you know from television. Um, yeah. It's been, it's been a lot of fun putting these together. And uh, I think you guys will enjoy listening to it. And if you're in San Francisco in January, I think you'll enjoy seeing it and listening to it. Yes. 
Uh, and thank you, uh, Andrew, for involving me in it. It's been so much fun to do that I, I can't wait to do more. I know, me too. It's been great. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. So now, enjoy this pilot. Laurel and Holly by Andrew Reich and Ted Cohen. Cold open, exterior apartment building. It's a 1920s building in Los Angeles. We're at interior Laurel and Steve's apartment. It's an artsy and cool place. The stuff in it has been well curated. Art books, Linus bikes, Burmester turn t- turntable, etc. Laurel, smart and biting with a dark, no-bullshit outlook on life. And Steve, calm and rational with a dry sense of humor, are getting ready to go out for the evening. Ugh, I'm totally dreading this. Do we really have to go over there? I mean, can I just call them and tell them we had to go out of town all of a sudden? They live across the hall. They might realize we're lying. (laughs) Then I'll tell them I'm sick. The plague. I have the plague. Oh, don't look at me like that. It's back. I saw it on my homepage. You just have to get bit by this one squirrel. It's it's dinner. We'll go. We'll eat. We'll get it over with. And then we won't have to do it again for six months. No, no, no. See, that's where you're wrong. Who had who over for dinner last time? We went over there. Exactly. And did they wait for us to reciprocate like normal people? (laughs) No. They ignored protocol and invited us again, which totally violates the social contract. I mean, you break the rules like that, and pretty soon people are just taking a dump in the H&M dressing room. (laughs) I'm not totally sure I follow that train of thought. Oh, come on, Stephen. Tell me you're not dreading this as much as I am. All right, fine, they do come on a little strong, but that's just because they like us. They want to be our friends. But we have nothing in common. He's so heartbreakingly dim. And he's so perky and psyched. It's like talking to a cartoon. I mean, you could explode a stick of dynamite in her ass and she'd keep smiling. (laughs) Just think wine. Think enormous amounts of wine. Oh, God. What? Oh, there's going to be wine, which means there's going to be cheersing, which means she's going to do that super aggressive cheersing eye contact thing. Okay, showtime's over. No, wait, I need another minute. And a bong hit, and a Xanax, and a... He opens the door. Holly, fit, sporty, chipper, uncomplicated, and Tony, handsome in a rugged, beachy way, dimly earnest, sarcasm-free, are standing in their open doorway, which directly faces Laurel and Steve's. They have their arms around each other and are wearing some kind of vaguely Mexican garb. (laughs) Buenos noches! Mi casa es su Mexican night! How fun! As, as Laurel passes Steve on her way out the door. Screw Xanax. I need a noose. <laughs> they cross the hall where Holly and Tony warmly hug them. We reset to the interior of Holly and Tony's apartment. Everything is cheerful and comfy and came from a middle brow catalog. Right now it is decked out in a wildly unsubtle Mexican theme. <laughs> Laurel and Steve follow Holly and Tony to the living area where there's a coffee table loaded with platters of appetizers and an unspeakable number of candles. Come in and get your guac on. Yeah. This guac is killer. It's killer guac. <laughs> wow, look at all these candles. Oh, I know, I can't help it. I'm a cuckoo candler. I've got... Grapefruit verbena, sunset cove, fresh cut grass, maple bacon, mesquite campfire, Egyptian nights, tomato jam, butter popcorn, lobster armchair. Can you breathe? I can't breathe. No, no, it's great. It's it's not short circuiting my olfactory system at all. It's so good to see you. 
I mean, I know I see you in the hall all the time, in the elevator and whatnot, but I feel like we haven't done this in so long. Yeah, yeah, it's been a couple of months since, you know, you had us over here. So how are you guys? We're fantastic. 100%, man. (laughs) So fantastic. Holly's physical therapy business is tearing it up. I'm living the dream, you know, doing my thing. Oh, yeah? How's how's music going? Great, great. I'm actually in a new band. We play reggae covers of Megadeth songs. Yeah. We're called Regadeth. <laughs> Two words. And how are you guys doing? How's the uh, graphic design biz? Oh, not bad. We actually just landed a contract to design the jacket on the new Gillian Flynn book. <gasps> Who? <laughs> Gillian, Gillian Flynn. Flynn. Gone yeah, Girl. Gone Girl. I'm not like a big book person, but not super into reading or movies or anything like that. Anything where you have to like sit down. (laughs) Sitting is a killer. (laughs) It's the new smoking. Science science is teaching us this. Is there any wine about? Of course there is. In keeping with the theme. Fills up a bottle. Uh, Mangria by Adam Carolla. <laughs> oh, okay, because Sangria is Spanish and they speak Spanish in Mexico, so why not drink something made by a radio host? <laughs> exactly. A toast. As Holly pours and hands everyone a glass. <sighs> to our favorite neighbors, you are exactly the kind of hip, cool, interesting people we hoped that we would meet when we moved here from Daytona. Here's to... <laughs> Here's to many, 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 many more dinners. She holds up her glass and they all cheers. When Holly clinks glasses, she does indeed hold eye contact for an aggressively long time. There's no way to look away. We dissolve to Holly and Tony's apartment. Now everyone sits around the dinner table. They've already eaten. Laurel and Steve look weary as Tony stacks plates. I know, there are a lot of haters out there, but I really love where this country is going, you know, this whole peace thing, education. It's awesome. He exits into the kitchen with the plates. Laurel puts her napkin on the table in a subtle attempt to put an end to the evening. Well, I have to say, you guys have nourished my body and my mind. And now it's game time. Woo! Games? Uh, is anyone else feeling a little plaguey? <laughs> what do you want to play? Taboo or would you rather? Uh, Zoom Schwartz Profigliano? <laughs> Tony enters. Uh, actually... I hate to do this, but I think it's time. Oh my God. Okay. This is happening. (laughs) Didn't think we were going to do this, but I guess we are. Okay. Holly, Laurel, Steve and I are having an affair. (laughs) You're what? Why did you do that? (laughs) What do you mean? Would would you have had to lay the news on him? No, I was going to say that it was time to go. I got to call my bat on that. And we fade out, end of cold open. Act one, scene A. Everyone is as we left. 
this is a joke, right? Tell me this is a joke. I'm sorry, Laurel. <laughs> you are aware he's a man. I am. <laughs> I don't understand. How did this happen? Well, after our last dinner, we ran into each other in the laundry room, and he invited me to go see his band, and, and, and then we... So, so, you, so you what, you hooked up after a Regadeth concert? Uh, actually, it was my old man, Metallica. You don't talk! <laughs> I can't believe this! This does not happen to me! I am not the girl who marries a gay guy! I, 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 I'm not a theater geek or a Scientologist! Moral, oh, God! Oh, God! Oh, my God! It's all becoming so obvious now! How could I not have seen this? I mean, you were willing to see... Magic Mike with me twice in the theater. <laughs> you, you got an erection during that 60-minute interview with Colin Kaepernick, and I believed you when you said it was for Leslie Stahl. <laughs> and all of your stupid David Sedaris books that should have been tip off. Our generation's Mark Twain, my ass. He's droll. No straight man likes droll. He suddenly notices Holly, who looks dumbstruck. And you. Why are you just standing there? This is happening to you, too, you know? I guess... I'm just, I, I, I don't know, I feel like I'm kind of in shock. So, you mean this whole time you guys were together, you've been gay? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there have been times where I've been, like, more gay than other times. <laughs> but, yeah. Oh, my God. She walks up to Tony and gets right in his face. He prepares himself for her reaction. <sighs> This must have been so hard for you. What? <laughs> hard for him? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it must have been so painful to be in the closet all this time. But, you know, it gets better, Tony. Barney from How I Met Your Mother says. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you? You're, you're moving right past anger, right to forgiveness. You know what? I don't care. I don't want to see any of you ever again. Okay, you're emotional right now, which I totally get. Tony and I will... Find a place to stay tonight, and we can talk this through another time. <laughs> what is there to talk about? You're a liar and a cheat, and I never should have married you. I mean, I had choices. You know, I could have married Don Fogle. He, you know, he's not gay. He buys his jeans at Costco. <laughs> she storms out. We cut to scene B. Laurel's apartment the next morning. It's empty, quiet. There's a knock on the door. Laurel? Laurel sits up abruptly on the couch. It's clear that she fell asleep here. She looks like shit. A couple of empty wine bottles roll off her and onto the floor. Laurel? Are you there? Leave me alone. But it's Holly! Oh. <laughs> uh, in that case, leave me alone. Laurel feels behind her and pulls out a half-full Midori bottle. She looks at it with disgust and takes a swig. Holly unlocks the door and lets herself in. She is fresh-faced and full of energy. What the hell? It turns out Tony had a key. <clears throat> Unbelievable. Holly pulls, Holly pulls back the curtains and proceeds to tidy up the apartment, as she does. Okay, here's the plan. We're both going to take the day off work and go for a hike. We're going to sweat this out. We're going <laughs> to We're going to what? Look, if you don't feel like a hike, we, we could do spinning or hot yoga or hot spinning. You slide off the bike a lot, you know, you, you slide off the bike a lot, but it's a great workout. Hey, where are your spinning shoes? I'm really going to have to ask you to leave. But you can't just sit here and do nothing. I'm not doing nothing. I've already made donations to several virulently anti-gay organizations. <laughs> Laurel, 
No good thing is going to come out of moping around and feeling sorry for yourself. It's been 14 hours. This happened yesterday. Yeah, and tomorrow, today will be yesterday. Okay, what is your deal? Last night you went straight to all this tolerance and understanding bullshit, and now you're full of pep and motivation when you should be miserable and hungover like a normal person. I'm sorry, that's just not how I deal with things. Well, it's how I and the rest of humanity deal with them. So would you please just give me the key your husband apparently used to have nooners with my husband <laughs> and go away. All right, fine. I'll give you some space. Just promise me you will do one thing today that makes you feel like you're taking control of the situation. Okay, I promise. What's it going to be? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure yet, but right now murdering you is high on this. That's good, because a sense of humor is going to get you through this. <laughs> While the exits, Laurel shakes her head in disbelief, and we cut to scene C. Interior Laurel and Steve's office. The funky offices of Laurel and Steve's graphic design company. Laurel gets off the elevator. She's very put together compared to how we just saw her in all business as she walks by the receptionist, Tanya. Hi, Laurel. Good morning. Uh, is Steve still out at his 9.30? Seeing as how it's 9.32, yes. All right, good. Okay, um, everybody listen up. I have an announcement. People gather around. Mm. Laurel takes a deep breath and composes herself. Steve and I are splitting up. Hubbub as people react. Uh, I'm sure you're all curious about what happened, but I hope you understand that this is a private matter between us. What about the company? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, I'm not sure yet, but I will probably take my clients and start my own firm, make a fresh start. And when I do that, any of you who would like to come with me will be welcome. Or you can stay here with Steve. The choice will be totally yours. But if anyone wants to come with me right now, get your stuff together because I am out of here. That was a joke, guys. Just a little joke. Again, so, silence. Uh, um, <clears throat> but seriously, when I do start my own firm, some of you will come with me, right? People try even harder not to look her in the eye. <laughs> oh, come on, nobody? Sorry, Steve is just so nurturing. <laughs> there he is. He's really good at nurturing. He's just warm and, yeah. <laughs> what? What, and I'm not? Wait, no one thinks I'm nurturing? Rita, Rita, when you had that arm thing. I think. <laughs> Fine, I think. Who drove you to the emergency room? Steve did. <laughs> and who else was in the car? You. I remember because you kept saying, oh, God, your eye. Look at it. Oh, I'm going to Okay, I have a thing about eye stuff. That doesn't mean I'm not nurturing. Now, come on. Who's with me? No one speaks up. Laurel notices a burly guy about 20 years old trying to hide behind some other people. Xander? Not even you? Come on, don't make this difficult. <laughs> You're my brother. <laughs> but I'm also Steve's brother-in-law. Great, I'm not going to be his brother-in-law anymore. How could you take that away from me? <laughs> really? Really? This is the thanks I get? I'm the one who created a job for you here when no one else would hire you. That's because I have a disability. Addiction, in, addiction to anime pornography is not a disability. <laughs> well, thanks. Now everybody knows. <laughs> they already knew, Xander. They've all walked past your desk. <laughs> Steve would never talk to me like that. 
All right, you know what? I didn't want to do this, but since you all seem to think this is my fault, I think it's fair that I tell you why we're splitting up. Steve is gay. He's gay, and he's been having an affair. I am not the villain here, so if you stay, it is at your own peril. <laughs> peril? Wait, what peril? I don't know, Rita. Think about it. If he could lie to me about this, who knows what else he's capable of? I mean, he could rape you. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. I'm confused. I'm confused. Is he gay or is he raping me? What are you, a lawyer? Steve enters. <laughs> hey, everybody. Oh. Tell them. Tell them us splitting up is not my fault. Okay. Um, I was planning on talking to you all today anyway. Uh, hmm. Guys, Laurel has every right to be mad. I was a complete coward. And I really regret how I handled this situation. Everyone gathers around him. Uh. You can't help how you were born. <laughs> Barney says it gets better. Gay- <laughs> Gays are the shit. Laurel has had it. Okay, this is insane. You know what? You all deserve each other. She starts to walk out, then notices a giant potted plant. But I'm taking this. When we started this company, it was yay big. And now look at it. And why? Because I nurtured the crap out of it. As everyone watches, she tries to pick up the plant. It's way too heavy. She tries to push it towards the elevator, really putting her shoulder into it. There's lots of useless grunting and heaving. It's deeply humiliating. Eventually, she gives up and tries to muster her dignity. I will send for it. (laughs) She gets in the elevator, and we cut to scene D, the apartment building lobby. Laurel enters the lobby, her shoulder clearly in pain from the plant incident. She approaches the elevators and gingerly presses the button. The door's open, and she gets in next to a guy carrying his laundry. Sweet, good-looking, and a nerd who has a beard way. This is Shane. Hi. Hi. Laurel reaches for the button to her floor. Ugh, would you mind hitting seven, please? Yeah. You okay? Oh, nothing. A little Oxycontin shoulder transplant (laughs) surgery can't fix. (laughs) Sorry, it's just been a bad day. Sure. The door closes and they ride for a beat. Wait, what do you, what do you mean? Sure. What, with just, 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 just a regular, just shirt? Sure. <laughs> are you sure? Because um, you said sure, like you sure are having a bad day. Oh, no. I, I meant it like a sure, casual, you know, sure, people have bad days. It doesn't mean I know the specific reason why your day is bad. Like, I, my mind goes to maybe you stepped in a puddle or, you know, you were squeezing mustard on a sandwich, but you didn't shake the bottle well enough, so you get the kind of weird yellow water stuff. <laughs> you know about my husband. I do. I do. Sorry, I wish I didn't. I don't really want. I mean, some people were talking about it in the laundry room, and I I couldn't not listen. Oh my god! What did they say? They said he left you for your best friend's husband. Okay, that's a lie. She is not my best friend. I, I've been over there like twice. But the gay leaving you part is true. Uh, yes. I'm so sorry. I mean, I'm so that's. Did you have any idea? No. It's so confusing these days. Every straight guy dresses like Wes Anderson and knows how to beat a chicken. How are you supposed to know? Oh, this is so humiliating. Well, there are there are more humiliating things. Like what? Well, my ex-fiance cheated on me with the milkman. I'm sorry, milkman? Yeah, we had a milkman. I thought it would be cool. I, I suggested it. Local, 
the organic. <laughs> and then he uh, locally and organically fucked my family. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, at least your husband left you for another guy. Nothing you can do about that. I mean, it's not like you can grow a dick. <laughs> Are you a professional life coach? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm talking too much. No, it's okay. Um, I'm Laurel, by the way. Shane. I, I just moved into 10J. You have a minute doors open. And hey, I really am sorry about your husband. If you ever want to talk about it with a total stranger, I'm in 10J, which I just told you. You did. Interior hallway continuous. Laurel gets off the elevator and immediately walks into Holly's ass. She is bent over, stretching, but quickly jumps up to face Laurel. Hey, you left your apartment! Good for you! She grabs Laurel by both shoulders and gives her an encouraging shake, causing an explosion of intense pain. Oh, God! What's wrong? I did something to take control of the situation, and now I'm crippled for life. Oh, well, that's not great. But, you know, I'm a physical therapist. I can help you. I don't want your help. She tries to walk past her, but Holly blocks her. Oh, come on. I won't even charge you. We have to look out for each other. We're in this together. Okay, let me stop you right there. We are not in anything together, okay? We're not gonna become some kind of two-person gay husband support group. We're gonna be neighbors who pass each other in the hall and say stuff like, Wednesday, hump day, and that's it. <laughs> but we're friends. No, no, we're not. We were friends before this, and we certainly aren't going to become friends because of it. So please, stop trying to take care of me. Okay. <laughs> I guess I just had the wrong idea. I'll leave you alone. She unlocks her door. I'll see you around. She goes into her apartment and Laurel goes into hers and we fade out end of Act 1. Act 2, Scene E, we're in Holly's physical therapy office, which is a large, bright loft filled with exercise equipment, weights, exercise balls, Pilates machines, etc. A couple of trainers work with clients and a couple are behind the front counter. Danny is a pretty, prissy, exercise orexic. And Steph is big and has a masculine energy. What's your schedule like today? <laughs> I have clients at 9 and 10 and then nothing until 1. What am I supposed to do with all that time? Do what I do. Grab a copy of Men's Fitness, rub one out in the massage room. <laughs> Your house. Well, excuse me for being a third-wave feminist. <laughs> We reset to the exterior of Holly's physical therapy office. Holly approaches the door, looking a little more down than we've seen her before. She plasters a smile on her face and enters. Good morning. Hey, boss. We missed you yesterday. Oh, yeah. I was, I was sick, I, but I'm feeling much better now. Thanks for asking. She tries to breeze past them, but Danny interrupts her. So, how was that dinner party you had for your neighbors? Oh, it was, um, it was awesome. It was a total success. Did you and Tony end up doing Mexican because Jeff wants to do tacos when we have you guys over next weekend? Next weekend? You didn't forget, did you? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, oh, we're just, I just remember that we're not going to be able to make that. Why not? Because, um, um, Tony is taking me away for the weekend. So, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, Where? This really, Where? <laughs> he's taking me to this really romantic hotel, uh, in a, a romantic location. <laughs> that sounds so nice. Now, can we reschedule for the next weekend? Sure. Yeah. So it's the time of someone coming to the door. Holly turns to see Laurel standing there. Laurel! <laughs> Come on! 
<laughs> she pulls her away from the counter so that Danny and Steph can't hear. What are you doing here? Um, it's my shoulder. It's actually mm, it's gotten worse. And I figured since you offered that maybe. Um, oh. Don't forget. You don't forget. It was a stupid idea. No, 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 no. I, I, I can do it. Well, why don't you. Um, she leads Laurel away from Danny and Steph to an isolated corner of the gym where she sits her down on a bench and stands behind her. Let's figure out what the problem is. Or where the problem is. Tell me where, when it hurts. She starts to massage Laurel's shoulder. Not there. Mm, not there. Not there. Oh, you sick, twisted bitch! Oh, okay. I think I found it. There you go. Oh, wow. That already feels better. I know what you need. Let me grab a couple of resistance bands. As she does. Look, listen, I wanted to apologize for what I said yesterday. I'm obviously having a really hard time, but there's no excuse for taking it out on me. Thank you for saying that, because I was a little hurt yesterday. I know. Um, I'm really not handling this well. I mean, I got hammered again last night when I woke up. I checked my browser history, and I'd registered the domain name Steve Turner Die Forever I Kill You Die.net. I was trying to think that your way of dealing with this is a lot healthier than mine. I'm glad you came around. Now let's not talk it about. Let's not talk about it anymore. Let's just fix that shoulder of yours. She has Laurel take an end of her resistance band in each hand. Okay. I want you to draw your shoulder blades together. Start here, then bam! Girls gone wild. Then relax. <laughs> then bam! Give me my Mardi Gras beads. Then relax. <laughs> then bam! Sofia Vergara. Okay. Well, I think I starts to do the exercise. Meanwhile, Steph and Danny come toward their corner of the gym with exercise mats and cleaning supplies. Holly registers their approach with concern. So, have you talked to Tony? Danny and Steph start wiping down the mats. Holly nervously looks over at them. They're definitely in earshot. Talk to Tony? Um, yeah, yeah, of course I've, t- I've talked to Tony. Really? When? This morning in our apartment. Oh my god, why was he there? Did he come over to pick up his stuff? <laughs> Danny and Steph are clearly wondering what the hell is going on. Yeah, he came over to where his stuff was, and he picked it up, put it in the hamper, which I'm always on him about. It's so irritating. <laughs> so irritating, leaving you for another man. What? Uh, Tony's leaving you for another man? No, 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 no. I, I mean, she meant what she said. What she meant when she said for another man, she meant she she meant four, like the number four, like the number. <laughs> You just told us he was taking you away for a romantic weekend. You told them what? Well, again, four, as in <laughs> number four, because if you think about it. She turns an exit. So let me get another one. What the hell just happened? Cut to scene G, Laurel and Steve's apartment. They, there are now packed boxes on the floor. The apartment is starting to look a little sparse. The turntable and records are gone. There are gaps in the bookshelves where Steve's books used to be. Laurel takes a Jonathan Adler porcelain owl off a shelf, carefully wraps it in newspaper, and then drops it into a box on the floor where we hear it smash. (laughs) There's a knock on the door, and she opens it on Xander. Laurel, the way I acted was inexcusable. We are blood. Nothing is more important to me than blood. I am never setting foot in that office again. So Steve fired you? Seconds after I left. (laughs) After all I've done for that company. Anyway, about this new venture you and I are going to start. Get out. 
Get out. Got it. You're still in the blue blue sky stage. <laughs> but when you're ready to get into the nitty gritty, shoot me an email. Steve let me keep my computer. He said there'd be no way to wipe the hard drive clean. <laughs> down the hallway to the elevator and gets in just as Holly emerges from the stairs. She sees Laurel, who is still standing in her open doorway, and freezes. Laurel accosts her. What the hell was that before? Holly, panicked, pulls her phone out of her purse and acts as if she is mid-conversation as she approaches her door and unlocks it. Uh, yeah, um, would, uh, yeah, I would definitely recommend it to a friend. Eight out of ten. Yeah, str- uh-huh, I strongly agree. <laughs> <laughs> Holly, <laughs> I, 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 sorry, Laurel. I'm I, I'm taking a customer satisfaction survey. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like those girls in your office. Molly gets her door open. <clears throat> you know, now's not really a good time. She goes into her apartment and tries to close the door behind her, but Laurel wedges her foot in and follows her. We're in Holly's apartment. Come on, why why would you tell them that everything with you and Tony is fine? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I don't know. I guess I just thought that maybe I won't ever have to tell them the truth. That's all. What? You're going to have to tell them eventually. I don't know. Maybe not. Who knows? Maybe all this will blow over and Tony and I will get back together. (laughs) He's gay. You don't know that. Sometimes people dabble. (laughs) Dabble? They didn't touch peepees at summer camp. Okay, they're grown men. They're probably picking out shelving solutions at West Elm right now. Yes, but... Yeah, here I am thinking you're the one handling this in a sane, healthy way, but you're not. You're pretending like the whole thing never happened. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Look, okay, you want to be friends? This is what friends do for each other. They call each other on their crap. Tony's not coming back, Holly. You need to face it. He's not coming back. I just... He's not coming back. But... Yeah, he's not coming back. Ah! <laughs> I know he's not coming back, okay? Laurel reacts. <laughs> What the hell do you want me to do about it, huh? You want me to do this? She picks up a jug of laundry detergent and hurls it across the room. Is that what you want? Yes! Yeah, how about this? She picks up a bowl of lemons from the counter and throws that. (laughs) Or this! She picks up a large ceramic platter, lifts it above her head, and brings it crashing to the ground. Pieces fly everywhere. Okay, that came close to my eye. But Holly, now unleashed, is already crossing to the fireplace where she picks up a poker. Or this! Wielding the poker like a baseball bat, she blasts one of her candles back towards the kitchen where Laurel is still standing. Laurel quickly takes cover behind the counter, thwacking candles. Or this! Stupid fucking candles! Don't even... Sorry, don't even make She stands there heaving poker in hand, then she drops the poker and slumps to the floor. <laughs> I miss him. <laughs> Laurel peeks over the counter to see if it's safe to come out. I just miss him so, so much. Laurel crawls over next to Holly on the floor and discreetly kicks away the fireplace poker. <laughs> We've been together since we were 16. I mean, how, how am I supposed to do this? I don't know. I'm trying to figure out the same thing myself. Everyone in magazines is always like, oh, divorce was the best thing that ever happened to me. Ugh, I know. Now I get to take cooking classes and go on yoga retreats. <laughs> I, take a, I take biking trips through wine country with my girlfriends. <laughs> oh, I color block my own thank you cards. I make my own lip balm. And I... <laughs> and I die alone with my unused, dusty vagina. <laughs> the... 
end. <laughs> Look, all we have to do is get through today, and then tomorrow, today will be yesterday. That's not helpful. <laughs> I'm sorry I made you go Hulk on all your shit. It's okay. It actually felt pretty good. Come on. I'll help you clean up. Holly presses down on the floor with her hand and pushes herself up, then quickly grabs her shoulder in pain. Oh, I think I messed up my shoulder. Mm. Sit down. A very good physical therapist did this for me, and it really helped. As she massages Holly's shoulder, we cut to the tag. We're on the exterior street morning. Holly and Laurel are walking down their block wearing exercise clothes and carrying smoothies. <laughs> I kind of liked hot spinning. You know, it's not technically hot spinning if you just sit on the bike and read magazines. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. You know what you need to do next? If you suggest more exercise, I will throat punch you. We need to have sex with guys. <laughs> what? <laughs> what happened to we've been together since we were 16? Boo hoo hoo. Uh, look, our husbands aren't coming back, and that sucks. But the upside is, now we can go find some guys who actually like women. So, I mean, if, if you and Steve were anything like me and Tony, I'm guessing you put in some time with Mr. Softy. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> sure, yeah, he spent hours flopping around in my hand. But <laughs> no way am I ready to be someone else. Oh, come on. You must have thought about it. You mean to tell me there's not a guy out there who makes you horny, baby? <laughs> Was that supposed to be Austin Powers? Hey, hi! <laughs> this friendship experiment is on major things. But you're avoiding the question. Okay, fine. There might be someone. Yes! I knew it! So who is he? He's this new guy in the building. They exit into their building. We reset to the lobby. They enter. Shane immediately passes by them on his way from the mailboxes to the elevator. Oh, hey, Laurel. Hey. Did I just do that with my mind? <laughs> what? That's the guy. <gasps> <laughs> she bounds upstairs. Laurel and Shane get in the elevator. We're interior elevator. So I, you look like you're doing better than you were the other day. I am. What'd you do? You, you hook up with a milkman or something? He was amazing. <laughs> you know what? Listen, I, I don't know if it's too soon or whatever, but would you maybe want to go out with me sometime? Oh, um... Totally casual. Just, just, just maybe grab a cup of coffee or... She suddenly vomits and... <laughs> <laughs> oh. Tea? <laughs> <laughs> we cut to the interior hallway moments later. Holly waits expectantly in the hallway. The elevator door opens and Laurel gets out. So? Definitely not ready to date. <laughs> <laughs> throws her gym tote into the trash chute and we fade out. End of show. <laughs> I want to thank Matt Azelton, Mal Ward, Mark Mary, and everyone at Arts and Sciences for giving us the physical space to get this thing off the ground. Special thanks to Matt for the name. I want to thank Ted Leo for our theme song and Courtney Hyde for our logo. Thank you to Ben Cornelius and Ethan Walter for their help with the sound. Thanks for listening. 
Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash deadpilotsociety. We're on Instagram at deadpilotsociety. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Thanks. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.